Well, good morning. I hope you're having a great day today. Uh, looking forward to having a chance to speak this morning. These guys keep giving me a hard time about speaking short, you know. I'm going to fix that today. <laughs> I'm going I'm to talk real slow. <laughs> this, this weather has been incredible, hasn't it? Man, I think this 10 degrees hotter series is working for us. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe next winter a series called 20 Degrees Hotter. Yeah. Uh, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> We've been talking about what it takes to grow and to deepen our walk with God, what it takes to have a, a, a greater passion for following Jesus. And Kevin's talked about prayer. He's talked about the Bible. He's talked about the church, all good stuff to grow in it as a Christian. You know, when, when you walk out of here and you think, man, yeah, this, this is great. You're all pumped up because, you, you, know, you know, I'm going to pray more and I'm going to read my Bible more, and I'm committed to the church, and it's all, all good. i got to tell you, there's a fairly good chance you'd walk out of here not feeling that this morning, okay? Um, because sometimes with all that good stuff, there's also comes the, the negative, the struggle that we have as believers with trials and suffering, and how that impacts our walk with Christ. And so I, I want to just go to what James says in James 1, verse 2, when he said, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Those are pretty familiar verses. We, we've all heard them probably. We shouldn't let the familiarity of them keep us from seeing that those, that's some stunning statements there. And no doubt you caught the joy part, right? I mean, a lot of times when we read those verses, we, look, we usually focus on the word joy. But James doesn't just mention joy. He says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. That's not saying, though, that there isn't an element of sorrow in our trials. You know, that, that'd be totally unrealistic, right, for us to say, you know, there's no, you know, yeah, I'm going through this terrible time, but you know, there's no sorrow. It's just all joy. It's saying that there is joy in all our circumstances, even the sorrowful ones. And I think that ability to, to experience joy at the same time as sorrow is a mark of our faith. Joy and sorrow. They, we can have both of those, ironically, at the same time as believers. And that's why some of the most joy-filled Christians you'll ever meet are the ones who've suffered the most. And, and we all experience difficulty and trials at some time. In fact, some of us are, are going through them right now, going through some tough time. I was looking through the prayer list from this past Sunday, last week, you know, those cards you guys fill in, and, and we say we'll, we'll pray through them, and we do. There was like, last Sunday, there was like 90 card prayer requests turned in, and uh, so we prayed through those this past week, and I was just looking at some of those. You know, there's like, out of the, that 90, there's like 10 of them that had to do with someone who's dealing with, with cancer. There's like 13 that had to do with some other um, physical issue that people are dealing with. There are people who are looking for jobs. 
there are people who have lost loved ones. There are people whose marriages are struggling. There's people going through, you know, devastating trials right here in our church family, right now in this room, people who are struggling. What do you do about that? How, where's the joy come in those devastating times? But what I want us to see is what James is telling us here, that the joy is tied to our growth in Christ. And one of the ways you grow as a follower is not just those positive things, the Bible and prayer and the church. You, you, if you want to grow hotter in your pursuit of Jesus, it's through these tough times, these difficulties. And James isn't the only one to tie them together. Peter did. He said in 1 Peter 1, 6, he said, In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's Peter. He said, hey, we greatly rejoice, even though you're going through very distressing various trials. There's sorrow and there's trials. And he said, why? Because it's proving your faith. It's proving your faith that in the end is going to result in praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Peter tied it in. Paul tied those together in Romans 5. He said, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So Paul says, hey, we have trials coming along, these tribulations, and we exult in them. We celebrate in them. Why? Why would we celebrate? Well, knowing that the tribulation brings about this, these changes in our lives, perseverance, improving character, improving character, hope, all this change comes because of trials that we go through. So all these guys are connecting joy and trials and spiritual growth. And the fact that all of them are doing that tells me something. It tells us that that's something pretty important. trials and joy and spiritual growth. James says, count it all joy, knowing. And he's talking about a knowledge that you gain by personal experience. All of us can have that knowledge because we've all experienced trials. Knowing this, the testing of your faith produces endurance. See, the reason for the joy isn't the suffering itself. That wouldn't make sense. The reason for the joy is the result of the suffering, the character trait that it produces, specifically here, endurance. Endurance. Somebody called it heroic fortitude. We're talking about developing a heroic fortitude where we're facing difficulties and we're not running from them. We become battle-tested as followers of Jesus. But that type of character doesn't come without struggle. So we don't go around as Christians because of that. We don't go around as Christians looking for some shortcut in life. We're not always about, hey, God, get me out of this. God, fix this for me. God, change this for me. No, and there's nothing wrong with praying. We can pray those things. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus 
as you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, Father, if this is possible, let this cup pass from me. So we can pray, God, please change it. God, please get me out of this. But Jesus also submitted himself to his Father's will. And there always needs to be that aspect in our lives. So we're not looking for shortcuts. We're not looking for the easy way out. We're looking to do what the Father wants. Above everything, what the Father wants. You know, mountain climbers, they could save themselves a lot of time and energy if they just jumped in a helicopter, right? Jump in a helicopter, boom, you're at the top. They're not, their goal isn't just reaching the top. Their goal is getting there the hard way, testing their character and their resolve and their ability. That's what we want in our faith. We want our faith to show. We want it to show through endurance, to show that we're in it for the long haul. And not just to, when I say endure, I'm not talking about just getting through it. I just got to endure it. No, I'm talking about enduring to conquer, to win. So we never give up. So we keep on going. Never give up. It's like Winston Churchill's speech that he gave uh, back in 1941. Maybe you've heard it at Harrow Hall in London. It was a very short speech in the face of World War II. And, and this is what he said. Listen to it. It's very short. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. great stuff. Never give in. Never, as Christians, never give in. You're going through some trial, you're going through some difficulty, never give in. Never, never, never give in. And nothing. We want to endure. We want to conquer. Why? So because in doing that, ultimately what happens is Jesus is going to receive the glory and the praise for that. It's trials that give us endurance. And endurance, James says, results in something significant. It's perfect result, he said. It brings, endurance brings us perfect result, where things are changed, where we're changed, where our lives make a mark for the kingdom of God. Back in the 40s, a young man named James Kilroy was working on the, uh, the harbor, in Boston Harbor, on the on the docks, loading ships to go around the world. And uh, worked hard at that every day, but he had a boss that, that just constantly was on him, constantly criticizing him, constantly saying he never did enough. And so one cold November morning, he's out there on the harbor, and he's loading these crates onto the ships, and he just got this idea. And so he picked up a piece of chalk, and on the side of this crate, he wrote, Kilroy was here. And he just began writing on it, every crate that he had. Kil- I don't, you know, he wasted a lot of time doing that. But Kilroy was here. So the, he said what great brought him some sense of satisfaction is when he, he knew that at the end of the day, when his boss came up and sort of was criticizing him for not getting enough done, he knew there were crates going all around the world with his name on them, making a mark. 
All of us as believers want to make a mark. You want, to make, you want things to change. You want to grow hotter in your pursuit of God. James says we should be joyful in our trials because those trials are bringing change to our lives. So that you may be perfect, he says. It's not talking about being sinless. We're not going to get that done in this life. It's talking about finishing. It's talking about maturity. It's talking about being full grown. Our trials help us as Christians to grow up. We want to be mature. We want to grow up. Trials help us do that. James says they make us complete. The picture there is from the Old Testament sacrificial system, you know, where they'd have to go pick out an animal. They were looking for an animal without defect, right? Nothing wrong with it on the outside, nothing wrong with it on the inside. As far as they knew, everything was right with this animal. That's the same idea here, complete, an animal that was whole. What James is talking about is that we would be whole, that, we, that, that our trials help us to, to, to get rid of those issues that would restrict us from being used by God. They remove those from us. They make us complete. They make us whole. And then he says, lacking in nothing, that we would be fully equipped, fully outfitted, like a soldier going into battle. He's got everything he needs, lacking in nothing. So we're perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, fully outfitted for battle in order to accomplish what God's got for us. And I believe if we want to do that, if we want to, you know, as the old phrase goes, you want to get better instead of getting bitter. If in your walk with Christ, in your trials, the struggles that you may be going through, whatever it may be, you want to go that, that route, you want to make a mark for God in, the, in this world, you want to make a mark in the kingdom, for the kingdom, I think there are four things that I want to mention to you to keep in mind as you face those trials. Four things that are pretty simple, actually. One of them is this, simply, God is good. You're facing some difficulty, you're alone, you're hurting, whatever it is, God is good. He's not out to zap us. He's not sitting back arbitrarily uh, hitting us with some tough situation. He's good himself, and he wants good for us. No matter what you're experiencing, that never changes you know, when we say God is good all the time, we mean all the time. So it's not just when things are going our way. It's not just when things are going the way we like. God's good all the time. So acknowledging that should keep us from ever accusing God of having done us wrong. You know, he's good. He'll never do us wrong. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 7, he said, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? We know, what's, we not, we know as, as human fathers and mothers, when our kids ask for something, we're going to give them what we can when we think it's best for them, Right? Got our little two-year-old grandson now. He's, he's hanging around our house a lot. And when I walk in the door, it's almost inevitable. He's like looking up at me, Papa, Papa, peanuts. <laughs> peanuts. And I, I'm like, Aaron, I don't know if we got any peanuts. Yeah, Papa, he points to the, the you know, 
cabinets over there, and the peanuts, you want peanuts. And so he, we go, and then he, if I get the peanuts, then it's, it, we go, and we, he, he points to the couch. He's got a spot he wants me to sit on the couch, and I go sit on the couch, and he climbs up on my shoulders, and I open the peanuts, and then I hand him one. It's like a little monkey, you know? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, obviously you don't want to spoil our kids, but when, when they're asking for something we can give them, we want to give it to them, right? We don't do something fake like if they were asking for a loaf of bread and hand them a stone, you know, it's almost like you're mocking them. Most of us wouldn't do that. But, you know, no. And he's saying, you know what? Jesus said, God's not like that. God who's perfect, a loving father, a good father, like we sang earlier, a good, good father. He gives us what's good. Here in James, James goes on down in to verse 17 where he says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation of shifting shadow god is good and that never changes there's no variation there's no shifting shadow it's not even a, a little bit of change there he's good you're going through some trial you have to keep that in mind secondly god is great Beginning to sound like a little prayer, isn't it? God's good. God is great. We know he's powerful enough to change our circumstances. And he has the knowledge and wisdom to know when and how to do that. We need to not question his greatness. It's interesting to me uh, in the book of Job, when, when Job began to question the, the goodness of God, which he did. You know, Job, when we talk about the, the patience of Job, which is true. He was patient. He went through an awful lot, right? And his initial response was to honor God, to praise him. But Job lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his family. It was terrible. And then what he had left was a wife who was critical of him and friends who were critical of him. I mean, he's just in a, in a terrible situation. And eventually, what Job began to do was to question the goodness of God. Like so many of us maybe have come to that point. And God begins to address Job eventually. And it's interesting to me that, that, that God doesn't go back and try to convince Job that he's good. What he does is he, he goes, he points out to Job who it is that Job is accusing by showing Job his greatness. It's like God is saying, hey, Job, you want to question my goodness? Let me remind you of who you're questioning. It's so important when we go through difficult times to remember the greatness of God. We are not his peers. We don't get to challenge him. If you're going through some trial and you're questioning the greatness of God, I encourage you to go back and go to, go to the book of Job. Read those chapters, chapter 38 through 42, where God is questioning Job. Look at that passage, just incredible stuff. And look at Job's response 
And then God's response again, just incredible stuff. Go back and read there or go back and read some passage that has to deal with who God is, some greatness, the greatness of God, like Isaiah 40 through 48. Read those chapters and study how great God is. He's good and he's great. And that's a, so big for us to remember when we are going through trials because this is where people get hung up. You know, they think, oh, okay, if I take those two statements as true, that God is good and God is great, but then I face suffering or I see suffering in this world, then they think, well, and they say, that just doesn't add up. It can't add up. You're telling me God's good and he wants good for me and that God is great. He has the power to change things, but it doesn't change. How is that? It doesn't add up. But you got to remember, there are some things, that, other things that we need to keep in mind during those times that sort of help answer that question. We also need to keep in mind that this isn't heaven. I know that may come as a shock to some of you. This isn't heaven. The, th the fact is, sometimes we act like it should sort of be like heaven. We act like it should all, life should come at us and, it should, and, and God should just make everything nice and smooth and good for us. No problems. The fact is, someday, all believers will experience the end of suffering. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. We're going to trade all of our trials all that we go through in this life for what the Bible calls glory. Glory. It's, it's if, if I come up with another word for it, it's splendor. Splendor in the presence of God. Can you imagine that? Splendor in the presence of God. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Hold on a second right there. Momentary light affliction, that's what, we, that's what we're experiencing right now. You say, well, man, my, what I'm experiencing right now is not moment, doesn't seem like it's momentary and doesn't seem light at all. It seems heavy. And I understand that. And that's your, I, I get that. What you're going through may be very heavy. What it is light in comparison to is the glory that is, going to wait, is waiting for us in heaven. So it may not be light in comparison to other trials in this world, but it is light in compared to the, the glory, the eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison that's waiting for us. And then he goes on, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All that will be ours someday. And it's great for us to think about that and keep that in mind. But it's not going to happen in this life. And we can't expect it to. And the reason the world we're in is so messed up, it isn't God's fault. It's ours. We're the ones who stepped away. We're the ones who brought sin into the world. We're the ones whose disobedience brought suffering into the world. And so now we live in a world that's so messed up that he told us we should expect problems and difficulties in it. It's part of this life that we cause by being disobedient to God in the world. So we know tough times are going to come. They're not God's fault. And those difficult times don't change the fact 
that he is good and he is great. Got to remember, this isn't heaven. And the final thing to keep in mind is there is purpose in this trial. And that purpose is that I will become more like Jesus. You ever hear somebody say, you know, I grew closer to God when my life was free from pain and suffering. Probably not very often. Probably very few times. But you watch trials come, and what happened? Some trial comes, and, and what do we do? And we get on our knees, right? We, we turn to Him. And turning to Him, that, that alone makes us more like Jesus. Because Jesus did that right. He, he often got along with the Father. And think about him in the garden of Gethsemane, praying to the, pouring out his heart to, to his Father. Some trial comes and we're humbled by it. We realize, you know what? I can't handle this by myself. I can't do this. It's, it's no longer about me. I can't, I'm not going to be able to pull it. I've got to turn to God. And, and, and that also makes us more like Jesus. The, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, Philippians 2 tells us, even death on the cross. He humbled himself. And some trial comes, and we go through it, and it makes us usable to comfort others, according to 2 Corinthians 1, 4. We become usable for the kingdom. We, it's, we, we can take that now and, and serve not only God, but serve others through it, just like Jesus became a servant, a servant to us. There's so many ways that trials bring us to the point that we are more like him. And if those trials make us more like him, then there's joy in that, isn't there? I mean, isn't being like him the most important thing in our lives? Isn't that what we say? Listen to Paul's desire in Philippians 3. This is a great passage. Philippians 3, 8, he says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count all things to be lost. When he says all things to Paul, that was everything. He had lived his entire life to, to somehow gain merit before God. And so he had a pile of stuff that he said he believed at one point in his life. He believed that all this pile of stuff made him right with God. He had lived his life for those things. He had given himself to those things. And then he came to the realization that none of that mattered. None of that added up to anything. And so he counts it as loss to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And listen, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul's praying. He's praying. He's like, hey, that I may know him. And we, we, we go, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to know him. I want to know him deeply. I want to follow him closely. I want to know him. 
Paul's like, hey, I don't want to know the power of his resurrection. Absolutely, yeah, that's great. I want to know the power of his resurrection because I want to walk in that power. I want to accomplish things for God. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Anybody want to pray for that? The fellowship of his sufferings. Jesus, think about his sufferings. I may know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I mean, why would anybody want to know the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings? Wouldn't make any sense at all, except he knew Paul knew that there's no way to be more like Jesus than to experience difficult times. And Paul knew there's no shortcuts. And there's nothing more that he wanted in life than to be like him. So he prays to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's some kind of desire, isn't it? I mean, where he's willing to face anything, being conformed to his death. So what about us? Where are you at with that? I want to be like Jesus. All the good stuff for that. What if being like Jesus means you've got to face trial and struggle and sorrow? Because Jesus is described for us as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You say, well, how's that again? Because the Bible of the New Testament tells me, Philippians says, rejoice always. I'm supposed to rejoice always. It's that that incredible balance that we can have as Christians, I was talking about earlier, that we can have joy in our sorrow. We need both. If today you're facing some trial, you need to know, you need to be fully convinced that God is good that he loves you and he wants what is best for you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. He loves you and he wants what's best for you. You have to know God is great. He's able to do what's best for you. But you also need to remember this isn't heaven. It's coming someday if you're a believer, but until then We're in a messed up world that will bring us suffering. And in that trial, as you endure, you've got to keep in mind that that trial can make you more like Jesus. As a result of that, you'll follow him with more passion and you'll have a more fully dedicated heart. And that's what every Christian wants, right? That's why there's joy 
in our trials. So never, never quit. Never back down. Never quit. 10 degrees hotter. You want to be hotter for God? Take the struggles that you're going through and let them make you more like Him. If you don't know Him, if you've never come to that point of faith and trusted Him, and you're walking through this life in this messed up world alone, and you're having to go through all the struggles and trials by yourself, I'm here to tell you, there's nothing greater that you can do than come to a place of faith where you can... where you can know him and trust him and follow him through life and know that he is walking with you through every single issue that you'll ever face. The God of heaven loves you and wants a relationship with you and he will meet every need of your life if you'll turn to him. If you want to talk about to someone about that in just a moment, we're going to dismiss. There'll be pastors back in this back room, back here, room one. And we would be glad to talk with you about that. If you can't find us there, go to the information desk, ask for them, get somebody to find one of us. We'd be love to talk to you about that. Believer, we have a good father who is able to change things for us. But in the struggles of this world, know this, he wants to make you more like his son. And that brings us joy. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for walking through life with us. Thank you for loving us. We love you because you first loved us and you changed our lives and gave us meaning and purpose. We pray for those who may be dealing with some struggle right now, some trial in life. God, give them strength. Help them to know and follow you more closely. Help them to make a mark for the kingdom. They'll ultimately bring glory to your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for uh, the opportunity just to come and spend time talking about you and your word today. We uh, thank you again for this day, the beauty of it. We ask you to bless it now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.